Welcome to the Build the Future podcast. My name is Cameron Weesey, and I'm your host. I've always been fascinated by the ideas and the sentiment that drove American culture in the 1960s with the space race. A culture galvanized to dream about the possibilities of tomorrow, whether it's food, transportation, cities, biology, or anything else. It was this cultural mindset rooted in optimism that the world tomorrow would be better than the world today. A mindset where people were compelled to build things, and I quote JFK, not because they were easy, but because they were hard. It's this desire to build and to dream that seems to have been lost and is something we're here to bring back. With Build the Future, we're here to promote the ideas and stories of those who see how the future can be better and promote their plans to get us there. It's our mission to get you to dream about the future that you want to live in and inspire you to go build. Today, we're talking with Garrett Scott, the CEO of Pipe Dream Labs. At Pipe Dream Labs, they're building a network of underground tubes that offer near instantaneous delivery of objects to and from homes and businesses. I'm thrilled to have Garrett with us today to explore this future. So let's jump right in. Garrett, let first of all, stoked to have you here. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm excited. I want to I start with the basics. Tell me about the future you're building with Pipe Dream. What's the vision? Yeah, so what we really want to do is we want to bring on this world of hyperlogistics. And what we see as hyperlogistics is getting delivery times under 30 seconds. Okay, so, so paint the picture for me. What does that entail with Pipe Dream as a company? So you're, you're going for 30-second logistics. Give me, give me a little more, more context there. Yeah, I, I think logistics uh, is just so sexy. There's just so many moving parts. There's all these things that have to work together. It's just in and of itself is a really cool system. And so we, we look at uh, the internet and what it did for data. And you know you have Moore's Law, which in a really exponential way is just everything moves faster and faster and faster and data moves faster and faster and faster. And every time it does, we unlock new economies and new scale and, and a, a, a better world for us to live in. You know, I was listening to an economics podcast today uh, and they were just talking about how the internet and all, all new technology, while it hasn't dramatically increased how much people make, it has deflated a lot of the costs around a lot of stuff that we need. So whereas someone could never dream of going to Bali for the weekend, the barista at Starbucks, because of Airbnb and, and reduction in, in costs in air travel, they can go to Bali for the weekend and it makes economic sense. And the, the idea of the technologies creating a more accessible, uh, a better world for people is, is just, that's, that's what we need to be building towards. So the internet did a really good job of doing that with data, doing that with processes, uh, automating uh, a lot of information. What we saw was logistics has not caught up. I, I think what Amazon did was really the, the start of it. Uh, logistics is not keeping up with Moore's Law. Even people won't even consider logistics even applying to Moore's Law. So it wasn't growing, uh, you know, as fast as it needed to. So we just started thinking like, okay, let, let's go to the, all the way to the other side of logistics. All the way at the very end, the inevitable end is teleportation, where you can just zap atoms from one place to another place. Like, okay, that's a definite future. It's going to get either to that place or right next to that place. So let's work backwards and let's, let's just try to get as close to that as possible within this next decade. Like, don't think about how do we improve our current systems? 
How do we make warehouses closer to people? How do we make automated cars work with packages? Like, like forget all of that. Let's just go to teleportation and just get as close to teleportation as we can. And just, just with the faith of being able to see how the internet has improved so many lives, we know if we get if we get close to that, we can improve so many lives. Like what whatever it takes to get there is worth it. So that's kind of where we started. And we just like we said, we're gonna call that world hyperlogistics. Uh, just right next to teleportation. And, and that's really where we started from a research standpoint with Pipe Dream. We never said, like, let's go underground. Let's, uh, you know, let's build this pipe and tube system. That was really the research focus was what does that world look like? And how can we bring that into being this decade? That's so dope. So it was, so you kind of did the inverse of what everyone would do. It's like, how do we fix the existing system? And it's like, no, no, no. Let's go imagine what the ideal should be. Let's go live in the future. Everyone's teleporting. But that's maybe yeah. n number of years out. What's the closest we can get? So tell me how how'd you think through that process and like how'd you arrive on what Pipe Dream is doing now? Yeah, yeah. So we looked at hyperlogistics and just kind of imagined what the world would look like with that. So you know, you're able to get objects in 30 seconds. It's really cool. Um, what you're also able to do is we don't even think of logistics as anything other than delivery because that's all we've optimized for. We don't even have a word for it, but in, in a true, you know, hyper logistics world, there's delivery, but there's also uploading. So just like a computer is able to download information and upload information, and that's where the efficiency comes from. In hyper logistics, you're able to download objects and really, in a really frictionless way, upload those objects too. Yeah. So, so that that was a spec. In this world, people can download and upload really frictionlessly. It's really fast, and and there's just so many cool things you can do with that. Just like how the internet allowed people to take the local storage on their computers and upload it to the cloud, and they got way more access to not only more storage but more compute power. And all this stuff that they were doing on their local device, they were able to do on a much more powerful machine for a much in a much cheaper way uh, in the cloud. And instead of having to carry around these big computers, we were able to carry around just a phone. And we became more mobile, and we we owned less uh, electronics, and it cost less. And but it took an increase in internet speeds, upload and download, to get there. So what we saw in hyperlogistics is when you get those download and upload speeds so quick, we're able to upload quote unquote a lot of our local storage of things and access things in the thing cloud <laughs> so we, we, we just kind of we realized wow there's some really really interesting things from an economic standpoint financial standpoint to an environmental standpoint that can happen in that world what we need to do is define that as like a list of specs um, so, so let's get a list of specs to make that world exist, you know, frictionless upload and download. It needs to be automated, but it, it can't be automated in a way where you're batching items together. They need to be independent and self-routing, just like packets of data on the internet. And you, you need it to be really fast. So really how we got to uh, the technology set that we're working on today is everyone needed access in their house. Everyone needed access on a business, uh, on the street, and you needed to be able to, in a frictionless way, you know, access that node, put yep. something in, take something out, and you need to be really fast. So we were working on this idea where you have like this car on the sidewalk that's really fast. And we're like, okay, well, you can't go fast around people. It's going to have to be covered. In that way, it's protected from the elements. Uh, it's consistent. It works every time. And by the time you're covering something, it just makes the most sense to put it underground at that point. So that's how we ended up there. And, and I think that's where um, with ULS, underground logistics systems, because we kind of backed into 
that, I think we ended up in, in a place, you know, people hadn't ended up before where everyone uh, looks at like pneumatic systems or something where the infrastructure costs a lot. Since we backed into it, we, I, I think we didn't have uh, that prior knowledge and we're able to come up with a much more efficient system. So we just got kind of lucky. Nice. Okay. Tell me, tell me a little bit more. Let's, let's like, let's dive a little bit into the, the system itself. So what is the system? And I know we'll, we'll jump back to logistics, but what is the system itself? And then what are some of the, the components? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just to use the, uh, the analogy of like a fiber optic network, you have your nodes. Uh, okay. So that's where data is going in and out of the system. So those are ab- above ground modules that accept the pods and uh, put the pods into the below ground network. And then you have uh, the tunnels themselves and be- because we needed to grow this network, a lot of people have tried the reversal of what we're doing, where you have a really expensive initial infrastructure, yep. um, and then the individual pods are really cheap. And just because that's really hard to scale and requires a lot of money, we kind of flipped that on its head and said, okay, let's keep the initial infrastructure really cheap, make it dumb, make it immovable, as simple as possible. Uh, that way it's really cheap to put in the ground. And then as you scale the network, you know, put all the technology in the pods and they become a unit cost. Uh, it's cheaper to, to scale up. So the, the tunnels themselves are just plastic sewage pipe-like tunnels. There's, you know, a lot of people know how to put that in the ground. It's very easy. It's very cheap. There's a, a you know, whole marketplace for those type of tunnels. And then uh, the pods themselves are cylindrical cars. So they're electric motor-based. They have wheels and they self-route in the system. So when you come to mm. a branch where, you know, a group of cars are going, they self-route, you know, do I go left and branch off or do I stay on the main pipe and keep going with the group? So you have the individual pods and then you have uh, what we call the mules. The mules are, if you imagine, you know, like a train uh, has individual cars and then they have the engine, uh, mm-hmm. the mules are just adding a lot more speed to a group of, of pods. So when they're in those main tunnels, uh, they can just reach higher speeds together as a group instead of having to put that kind of technology into every pod. But the, oh, the pods can go themselves. They're just not as fast. So, okay. So you have the the mule, which serves kind of the, the accelerant for, for all the mm-hmm. pods. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to visualize what this looks like, right? Because I imagine my house, I have a little kitchen appliance. I toss a package in there and then it goes down to the ground into one of these into the tunnel and then it starts moving along and then the mule comes and kind of pushes and accelerates it to like wherever it's trying to go. Exactly. Can you yeah, imagine, yeah. imagine um, your package is a car and you drive your car from your home on kind of the off streets and then you, you move on when you need to go somewhere farther, you move on to the highway. Imagine a, a race car just came up behind you and bumped you and then pushed you really, really fast down the highway. And then you would get off the exit road and, and go to your destination. That's kind of how it, how it works. Love it. Okay. I'm, I'm so curious. How do you, how do you go about rolling this out? You're working on your MVP. You have like pipes that you're, you're testing stuff with right now. Mm-hmm. How does the, and then on your website, you have the kind of the phases broken down. Talk me through that, that process and how you guys are thinking about bringing this thing to, to market. Yeah. It's a huge chicken and egg problem. Yeah. And um, I mean, you, you can't hook someone up to one of these tunnels and say, you know what, in 10 years, this is going to be really useful. So just, just hold on. So we looked and said, okay, this is, this is inevitable. And do we, do we build this right now or, or do we wait and, and, and build it later? But it's going to take a long time to build no matter what. So it's best to start now. But what we saw was uh, there was a really interesting way to use our technology to supercharge 
logistics as they stand today and get a lot of value out of our technology and then use that as a stepping stone uh, to go forward. So what, what we looked at is, is this thing that we call the loop. And what it basically is, is a subway system for parcels in a city where kind of like the New York subway, where you have a stop at yeah. every neighborhood and people walk from their home to the stop. They take the subway to their destination and then they get off and go to their final destination. You can do the same thing with parcels. We're going to tell our grandkids um, about Uber Eats and they're not going to believe us. We're going to like tell them like a, a human being or a one ton car drives to a restaurant, picks up your six count of chicken nuggets, drives it to your home, <laughs> yeah, drops it off and then goes and does that for someone else. And they're going to be like, well, how does it make any economic sense? And we're yeah. like, I don't know. It, it didn't really make much sense. <laughs> it, it's just really inefficient. But however, with a parcel system, you're, you're only using the human in the car uh, to make really short local stops. So instead of one driver going 45 minutes to another neighborhood to drop off or you know, cut it down 20 minutes to drop off food in another neighborhood, they're picking up six orders in their neighborhood. And then those six orders are going to six different neighborhoods. Each order ends up at a neighborhood with five other orders from five other neighborhoods. That Uber Eats driver in that destination neighborhood picks up all six of those orders and then drops them off to the house. And you've used two drivers to complete six orders in the same 45 minutes. So it, it creates a lot of cost reduction. And it's, that's consistent across grocery delivery, food delivery. There, there's a lot more object delivery that we could do in the same way we do Uber Eats, but it can't handle the impact to the bottom line to sustain that type of delivery, right? So if you're able to reduce the cost as, as much as we can um, with, this, with the loop, those companies are going to be able to deliver a lot more lower cost things because they don't have to rely on the food margins to kind of, you know, eat that delivery cost. So that not, not only does that like really help like Uber Eats drivers and DoorDash drivers, there, there's millions of dollars poured into Starship and these drone delivery services, which are awesome. And I love them. And we, we are obsessed with drones and we always have been, but uh, they're, they're tough to bring to market. However, you know, our subway system, the loop matched with drones and sidewalk delivery robots is actually the perfect marriage of an automated system that we could accomplish within the next five years. You know, if a drone is only handling deliveries from a node to a destination, that's always within, you know, one to two miles, which is the perfect range for a drone. So between drones picking it up, dropping off the node, it, it makes the world of automated delivery really possible over the next five years. So that's what we're focused on right now is just bringing the loop to as many cities as possible. And from there, uh, you know, as we kind of understand how automated uh, delivery is going to work, that's when we'll start hooking up from the loop to the individual homes and businesses as people see the use case for it. That's fantastic. Yeah, dude. Oh my God. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's so obvious that that's the missing piece because the reason that the, the reason Starship and some of these drone companies are, they're great for the last mile, but it's like, how do you, how do you kind of bridge that gap between like the restaurant to the end user across town? It's like, they're, they're not, there's that, that gap. So under underground logistics, hyper logistics can help ease that transition and slowly work us to a world where you can get anything you want within 30 seconds. I noticed like Alexis Ohanian tweeted this kind of fashion 2.0 being dominated by rental. And you're like, oh, yeah. yeah, everybody, it's great. Cause costs are going to get driven down and people are going to like rent stuff. And this goes into your, your cloud of things. Uh, hypothesis or or you're mm -hmm. kind of thinking there what are some of the other second order effects of the cost being driven down oh yeah yeah 
So uh, like one that I love talking about is screwdrivers because, and we have like, what, maybe 8 billion screwdrivers in the world, maybe 9 billion, somewhere around there. So we've produced, you know, in the billions uh, screwdrivers. And the only reason we produce so much is because everyone needs them close to them for convenience. So we produced all these screwdrivers out of convenience and we made them really cheap so that everyone could afford one and have a screwdriver close by. And we did that uh, across so many objects. And we, we hoard all these objects, you know, out of convenience. And so we have, we, we probably only need 2 million to 3 million screwdrivers correctly allocated at the right times, yeah. right? And so if you're able to make walking to your pipe dream node and grabbing a screwdriver you just ordered off Alexa as easy as reaching into your drawer and grabbing the screwdriver, then no one needs to own a screwdriver and we don't need to produce as many screwdrivers so the amount of screwdrivers in the world goes down, the quality of each screwdriver goes up, and the amount of uh, capital that we as humanity apply towards screwdrivers drops dramatically. So we're able to free up, you know, uh, both time and, and actual resources to other things because we don't have to produce as much objects to keep them nearby people. So we, we see that happening across all home-based industries where, you, you know, you have these things where, you know, we, we, we have so much out of convenience and, and the cost keeps getting driven down um, and we're all spending money to own things, which is, is crazy. So you're able to like someone moving into apartment has the same access uh, to all this stuff that someone who's been living in a home for 30 years does. Cause you know, right now you move into an apartment, you don't have tools, you don't have crafts, you don't have utensils, you don't have silverware, and you have to start just collecting all this stuff yeah. over time. You have to take care of it, which sucks. Th that person has the same access to the same amount of things as someone, you know, who's been living in a house for 30 years. The, the other one is um, our trash system is kind of like the only way we have to uh, upload things into logistics. And it, it's just like terminal, right? Like, or our best guess is like, okay, I'm going to send you this in a package. And since you can't give that package back, uh, I'm just going to make it out of things that we can throw away. So put it in a pile and then we'll all go put all our stuff in a pile and we'll just never use it forever. But with Pipe Dream, you know, you're, since you're able to return things and put it back into the, the network, reusable uh, materials and, and reusable packaging becomes a lot more useful because it's as easy as putting in the trash or putting in recycling, but you're putting it into something where it's able to route right back to the person who needs to use it again. And uh, you're able just to reduce so much packaging and you know the, all the disposable stuff we'd use for convenience. Uh, we don't need to be disposable anymore. That makes that makes perfect sense. And it's really exciting. We've kind of seen with, with COVID, everyone sort of take delivery a bit more seriously. Like, oh, actually, this is a thing. People are going to be delivering stuff to my, to my door. It's how I get my food. It's how I get my groceries. It's really kind of accelerated that trend. But most people aren't thinking about what, what is like food and, and groceries and packages seem to kind of, they kind of cap out in people's minds as like, oh, okay, I'll yeah. get this in a day. And like, what is, so I'm curious, like, what is the average person, someone not in Silicon Valley, not in tech, not thinking about, you know, far out in the future, what does the average person not understand about like the way the world is going to evolve in, in this sort of direction? Yeah, I, I think it's hard to know, but we saw in, in the same way the internet, it allowed software to eat every industry. Hyper logistics is going to allow e-commerce to eat every industry. You, It's tough to know. It, it really is. It's tough to know. And, you know, e even the, the greatest futurist of the internet couldn't, you know, imagine that the internet would allow people to rent out their homes and feel safe about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't like building trust through software, like no, no one could have suspected that. So I think way more, way more than you think. 
I, I think, you know, we're moving towards a world where we realize it doesn't matter where I live. And a lot of our home is dedicated to storage of things yeah. and making sure you have access to your things. But if, if you've automated access to your things, not only does your home not to need to be as big, but you don't really need to be there you know, in one place, you, you become a lot more mobile and you have the same access to the same things. Just like uh, the internet is allowing us to work wherever, you know, I don't know where you are, you don't know where I am, I could move to Phoenix and we have the same relationship. Yeah, you know, I can move to Phoenix and have the same access to my same things. And, you know, the world becomes more and more mobile. Yeah, we definitely we certainly don't need as much. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of people who, you know, work online, they've, they've kind of picked up on this, like, oh, I just need my laptop and like an internet connection. Because yeah. I get my food through Uber Eats or I get my groceries yep. from Instacart. And so, and like, maybe I get my, okay, I have a backpack with, you know, some clothes. I would love to have more, but I don't want to carry them around. So I make that trade off. But in the future, yeah. you won't have to because, right. oh, I want new clothes for this week or I want some certain books or I want my screwdriver. Boom. Like it's, it's everything. It's kind of like the evolution of everything on demand. Yeah. Which unlocks all sorts of interesting business opportunities. Uh, so yeah, there's so many, so many interesting things that are going to be built on top of that. Tell me about that. What are some of those, those things that could be built on top of this that excite you? Yeah, I, I think Blue Apron was a really cool business idea, just wrong decade. Like if, if, if I needed to go on to a recipe site and like, oh, what do I want to make tonight? It's like, oh, this is a really nice, you know, uh, chicken Alfredo. Boom, hit order. 30 seconds, all the spices in the right amounts, all the chicken breasts in the right amounts, every single thing that I need to make that dish, boom, it's in my home. I pull it out, I cook it. There's no food waste. If there is food waste, I put it back in the pipe dream. It, it goes right back to the place. And I don't need like all these spices. I don't need all this stuff. Like I have exactly what I need right there. You know, do it. It's kind of like having the infinite pantry. I, I think the infinite pantry one is really cool. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm reminded of the Neil Stephenson's The Diamond Age, like the the part like the the on-demand like particle assembler where it's like cool hey like homeless people or anyone who like wants there's a public service utility where it's like go press a button and you can get food you can get water yeah. you can get blankets you just have like your bare essentials just like on demand and in this world it's oh, that's cool. like atomically assembled one by one but in a way like that may not i mean that technology is probably 20 30 years out and but we can get to that world faster through really redoing how we how we think about logistics in our cities yeah. what what else is kind of, are there any other points in like the, the urban logistics space that, that you think are, are worth kind of sharing or, or ideas that may be kind of relevant to this? In, in urban logistics, I, I'm, I'm just so excited for human mobility. We've gotten so much out of scooters. I've gotten so much out of, you know, distributed scooters. Um, I have an electric skateboard, changed my life. Like I'm really excited for like this next day, decade, um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of room to grow there, especially city to city. So that that's really exciting. I, I think there I think you know this isn't a new idea. I mean, and people talk about it all the time, but I, I think it's time to really get focused on it and, and make it happen. In between countries, we have a really good standardization of shipping. You know, with the shipping containers and, and cargo ships. You know, it mm -hmm. doesn't matter what's in that container. You, you're going to put something in that container, and it's going to fit in the cargo ship, and no one cares, and it's going to get to its destination. And that standardization has been such an unlock where it's like, I can't even, it's crazy how cheap it is to mail something from China. Yeah, like it's, it's bonkers how cheap it is and how fast it is. And it's, it's due in a large part to that like universal standardization of 
uh, long range shipping. Uh, we have not seen that in short range shipping. That's where I think, you know, we have the most opportunity to get really efficient, especially as we move towards automated urban logistics. Uh, it's going to take some standardization and I mean, we're working on it, but you know, it's going to take more people all kind of agreeing that we do need that standardization to uh, make it happen. But I, I think there's room if someone wants to work on that. I think there's room for a company to own that. I, I think that'd be really cool. It would be immensely more efficient uh, with some standardization. Yeah, I've, I've even thought about that. Hmm. Going off of what you're, what you're most excited about. So talk to logistics, hyper logistics and, and the stuff with Pipedream. Outside of the work you're doing, and uh, the field you're working in, what are you most excited about for the future? What I'm most excited about, I, I think it's definitely no code. I, I know that's such a lame answer, mm. but I, I, I found no code like four years ago and just it's in a light bulb, a light bulb. It was like a light bulb moment off in my head where there's no gatekeepers to building things anymore. And if, if you want to build something and you have an idea and you're the creative give it a weekend you could have it done by monday yeah that that's so cool it's kind of like you know where there was a shift from if you're someone who knew construction well you're the one who gets to decide what the building looks like because you're the one who knows how to build it so you know you the mark zuckerberg type founders where i'm a technologist i'm very logical I like no in like I think code definitely like I don't want to get canceled sold on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Clean code is amazing and it's going to continue to be super important. That's like not the point here, but the point is like uh, a building is not a novel idea. So the person who gets to design the building should be the architect, right? Because construction is ubiquitous; everyone knows how to do it. Seeing that in software, where if you're someone who can draw a building, well, then you can figure out how to build that building. That's really cool. Um, it just opens the door to a lot more ideas. And a lot more cool things being built with software. So I, I think I no codes. I'm always so excited about no code. I've no, I haven't heard anyone champion no code in, in the way you just did. That's fantastic. Oh really? Yeah. Like everyone's like, I mean, people want to go talk about Neuralink. They want to talk about uh, supersonic jets. And just like, no, no, no. Like, let's go to the basics here. Like, no code because it unlocks. It, it gives puts people in the driver's seat. Be like, actually, no, yep. I want to create something. I want to try something new. Yep. And that paired with the ability to learn anything on the internet is is kind of increasing the number of people who can go build or can get the resources yeah. for themselves to go maybe set up a solid base for themselves by building out something with no code tools, and then they go take a bigger bigger shot on something like airships or hyper logistics or like flying cars because they're like, okay, cool. Like I feel confident in my ability to go do something. Yeah. I, I think there's so much room in no code. It, if I wasn't doing this, I would, I would just be doing stuff in no code. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that, that you said that I on Twitter that I, I very much agree with is like 2020 seems to be the year that people are realizing like things aren't as stable with a nine to five yeah. job. And there's like the future that we need to be worried about COVID especially for me, like I started this, the podcast and the project because I'm like, we can't deal with this sort of COVID like response again, because it's going to happen and we need yeah. leadership and we need like a plan. And I think yeah. it seems like people are waking up to that. I'm curious, could I would love to hear your thoughts on um, kind of what, what you think is going on culturally that's enabling the shift and some of the cool things you've, you've seen as a result. I don't know. You, you put it really like eloquently I, I don't really know what it is but there's definitely more people building towards the future this year than there's ever been at least it, that's what it seems like to me and, and people realizing like okay maybe uh we need to start voting for the future with our money and our time and instead of like 
building. Oh, that's a, it's a horrible example now. It used like six months ago. It's great building another note taking app. Uh, turns out there's a lot of innovation in note taking app. But anyways, instead of like uh, putting all our money towards the next big SaaS company, maybe it's good to put a little money and time towards a really base infrastructure that you know advances our world um, in the hard tech space or the longevity space or, or you know med tech biology yeah exactly like you're saying like the, our our world worked perfectly for exactly the circumstances we were experiencing and when those went awry this doesn't work anymore where software is great and it's unlocked so much but we need hard tech to keep up and i i think people started to feel really hopeful this year maybe or they felt the call to arms so it's cool i i just it, it's there's going to be such a cool class of entrepreneurs out of 2020 that are going to look really different than the class of entrepreneurs from 2019. That's a great, okay. I like, I love that framing. It's like everyone in 2019 was building SaaS and FinTech and everyone's like, mm, we don't need those. We need yeah. new things, new innovation. Yeah. We need, we need some of those. We need some of those, but we also need everything else. <laughs> um, how, okay. So as we kind of get close in here, how can people support you and Pipe Dream? What do you, what do you need? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we need collaborators. So um, go to pipedreamlabs.co and apply. And we may not have a full-time position for you, but um, we might have a part-time position or, you know, super part-time position. Like we, we just need, you know, as much talent as we can accumulate, even if it's uh, just for a little bit. Um, you know, we have some people who just spend four hours a week. And if you have four hours a week to spend on something cool, Let's talk. And then uh, other than that, I, I think what I did the worst in my early career that I've gotten better at now and kind of reap the benefits from now is, you know, if you're building something, uh, no matter what it is, start talking about it before it's ready and just be honest about where it's at. And I, I like to kind of build in my garage and wait till it's done and then show everybody. But it's way, way better to kind of build in public, talk about what you're building, and you're going to attract just the, the power of serendipity on the internet is so strong. Uh, you need to be talking about it as much as you can. If you have something that you really want to do, just start talking about it and start building. Being able to, you know, talk about what you're doing and back it up by building is, you'll, you'll get where you'll need to go with those two. Yeah, just to just to kind of add a little bit on that, can you, can you talk about your, real quick, like your, your experience with Twitter and how that is, how, how that is kind of played into that? Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Twitter's crazy, man. Twitter's crazy. You know, I didn't start using Twitter really. Let's see. On July 20th, I had like 30 followers and I just kind of like lurked on Twitter and I like wasn't really big. Uh, yeah. If you're building something, you need to be on Twitter. I I, I think it's a necessity. You know, you're, you're find so many, like I, all I've ever wanted is just to be around people building cool stuff and who help each other out. And that community exists on Twitter. So it, it's been an amazing experience. I definitely, you know, don't use it as much as I could, but, but the amount that I've used it has been absolutely amazing. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's all about finding the right, the right community, which yep. seems like you have landed on the perfect like mix of the people who are interested in building cool things and are actually working on this. And so, yeah, like back to what, what we were talking about earlier, it's like you get to zone all the other information out and it's like, Oh no, what is everyone talking about? Oh, it's future tech. Oh, it's like big moonshot projects. It's ambition. It's like, staying fit, staying healthy, like moving towards your goals. And like, yeah. then like, oh, okay, that's what everyone else is doing. Reality, that's not what everyone else is doing, but like, that's what you're seeing. And so you're influenced by it, which is- Yeah, you, you were that exactly what you were saying before we started uh, the podcast. Um, you're right. Like the more you feed that information into you, it just becomes part of your vernacular. And then eventually, you know, it, it becomes part of just how you live. 
Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Build the Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Garrett, you can find him on Twitter at TheGarrettScott. You can find out more about Pipe Dream Labs at PipeDreamLabs.co. Lastly, if you're building and want to get support, want to hear about certain topics or from certain people, or just want to get involved in helping build the future, shoot us over an email at hello at buildthefuturepodcast.com or follow me, Cameron, on Twitter at CamWeesey, and we'll see what we can make happen. That's it from us. Until next time, go build.